0: Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me.
1: I like building something that has legacy.
0: So we're into the second quarter of the year already. Most people will have a good idea based on the first three months of how their 2023 is panning out from business perspective. In Dubai, things are buoyant, so hopefully everyone will have had a good start to the year. It's also Ramadan. A lot of people will be attending suhoors and iftars, uh, both privately, but also from a business level. I attended one with TikTok, uh, Mina this week at Chef Halawa uh, in a really nice uh, event that we had uh, at his place, and also attended uh, the entertainers' iftar uh, with a recent guest, the CEO Ahmed Gaber. And uh, we also had our company iftar last night as well. So it's a nice time of the year, uh, both from a spiritual point of view, but people uh, use it to connect with. With, and build relationships as well. I hope you're having a good Ramadan and this week is continuing a trend from uh, the second uh, recent episode that we had in the blockchain and crypto space. So it's another podcast and interview in that area to delve into it a bit further. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. Welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works business Podcast. This week we're joined by Sandra Hello the CEO of Metapolis. They are a metaverse as a service platform built on the world-renowned technology stack and powered by leading blockchain technology. So you guessed it, this is all gonna be about metaverse, web three, latest technologies. We're gonna hear about the story of Metapolis, the metaverse marketplace in general, what's happening now and what's next. Uh, Welcome, Sandra.
1: Thanks, nice to be here.
0: Thanks for coming on. So yeah, tell us a little bit about Metapolis.
1: Sure. I mean, I guess everyone now knows a bit about the metaverse, right? It's one of those words that everyone's just been hearing constantly out in the news, media, LinkedIn, Twitter, (laughs) Instagram. It's kind of covered the place. Um, When we entered the the market and the scene, um, I mean, look, let me take you a bit through the history of Metapolis and then maybe we can kind of dive deep into what we actually do for people to understand.
0: Metapolis, you're saying it better than I did. Yeah, (laughs) keep going. you
1: you pronounce this good you pronounce it really (laughs) well so um initially when web3 kind of kicked off and started you know there was a lot of debate and a lot of discussion around what role nfts are going to play and how this space is going to kind of grow and expand into the this new change of behavior a new change of doing business in the world that we are moving into uh the technology that everyone was using so whether it's nfts whether it's what we're calling now the metaverse whether it's blockchain This technology already existed. AR, VR has always been around, but we weren't calling them these kind of names. We were calling them, you know, digital assets. We referred to them as activations, um, a secure layer. So uh, what happened was when Web3 started making an entry with the boom that NFTs brought up, and of course we do need to mention that Facebook rebranding to meta also pivoted that direction for people wanting to know more about the metaverse, we realized that the technology that we had been building for a very long time and applying was going to be very very you know needed in the space because if everyone is off building secluded environments you're going to come to a point where the engagement needed is going to be very difficult to maintain to have and to grow as in a sense that everyone needs a wallet you need blockchain layer you need nfts but what you're seeing in the market is everyone going off doing it on their own and then it essentially it's become an activation once again. Hmm. So what we looked at doing is we wanted to build that layer, that interoperable layer. I hate saying that word so much. So that interoperability layer.
0: Interoperable, yeah. That one, so you gotta yeah. Yeah, basically, explain what that means. So
1: it's a layer where everything can move freely between one another. So you don't need to change your wallet. You don't need to change your identity as in the avatar you have. You don't need to change your assets. You can move from one zone to the next without having to change your entire backend. Yeah. Uh, right now, and that goes back to the original point I was making, these activations that are being built by the brands that are entering the space, they are utilizing different wallets, different blockchains, and different NFT standards when it comes to ownership. Hmm. So if I own, let's say, X... NFT, and then I go to another metaverse, um, for the sake of using the word, Uh, in another world, I cannot transfer my assets, meaning what I own here cannot be transferred here. And that doesn't really make sense, right? Because it's kind of removing the whole point of ownership. The whole point of you owning assets is to be able to freely move around with them, especially with the future that you want to build in in the metaverse. So what we looked at doing was that layer that you pronounced amazingly. say it again if you want. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> take, take some heat off me from that word. Um, so what we looked at though was producing the layer, that standard layer and the product line where anyone, whether it's Web 2, Web 3, uh, entrepreneurs, the creator economy, can deploy on a metaverse as a service platform, not have to worry about the tech, not have to worry about the safety and security, and just pretty much work with us on how they can apply this metaverse to their operational model for it to be an always-on Uh, business model rather than it being an activation where people can just use for a couple of minutes or hours and then that's it, leave.
0: Okay, amazing, fine, I get that bit, so you're making it easier uh, for people who have uh, maybe entered into Web3 or they have wallets in different capacities, they have different wallets and then you can onboard them, you can onboard them all seamlessly.
1: I mean, you you got a part of it, right, because it doesn't only apply to Web3 brands. We work with a lot of uh, industries, so we're not industry specific. We work across verticals when it comes to people wanting to look at how the metaverse can apply to their business model now. Because the one thing that the metaverse allows is for new revenue streams to be generated through, you know, NFTs. Um, We look at things such as HR onboarding. How can you bring that into the metaverse? How can you build use cases? that allow you to collaborate with your communities rather than just having them as a stale community, whether it's through Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. You know That conversation doesn't really go beyond the, the website that they are on. In the metaverse, you can incentivize, you can co-collaborate at the same time. You can open borders because no longer are you defined to your IP address or where you are located. I could be sitting in Dubai right now, open my browser, and then jump through and be interacting with someone in, I don't know, in Australia or in the other side of the world. The reason why this is important is what we have built is accessible through web, so you can enter through your browser. It's optimized to be able to adapt to your um, bandwidth. Meaning if you don't have a good laptop, not a good laptop, but if your internet connection isn't the same as someone else's internet connection, you would still experience the same experience, but yours would be probably medium poly, whereas okay. theirs would be high
0: poly. Okay. so you do, Explain what those are.
1: So a medium poly is just the output that you would get. I think a lot of people have that vision when they look at the metaverse. Uh, tying back to it, it's web, AR, and VR is the services that we offer. But a lot of people expect the metaverse to have this kind of gamified aspect to it, right? It's, the metaverse is not a AAA game. People cannot expect to have the same renders that they would a game they would be playing on a PlayStation or an Xbox. The reason for that is, again, this renders constantly as you're moving, as mm. it's all in real time. So what we did is we have the proprietary tech that we've built and developed in-house which um, compresses the 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 visuals that you see so high poly is usually the highest form of uh, aesthetic that you can get medium is medium (laughs) level of aesthetic you can get and then you have voxel which is the one that i guess would be closer to what a roblox would be Mm. Uh, and the reason for that is again to adapt for mass onboarding when it comes to the metaverse we need to understand that not everyone has the same hardware when it comes to a laptop or a desktop, not everyone has the same internet speed, not everyone can probably experience the same experience, so we've made it easier for people to still be able to be in one room, so in one metaverse, but have their experience fit to them.
0: Okay, fine, so typically people think metaverse is something that we have to wear headsets, but you're making it available on the web. There are companies that I'm aware of, I'm not sure what listeners are. There are companies that you can have metaverse experience, like there's Spatial, there's a few others, uh, there's Everdome here in Dubai, there's a few others like that. Are you one of those? No. So the software, the platform as a service part, is that how it's different?
1: It's different in a couple of ways. So the ones that you just mentioned, even though they are very good at what they're doing, our experience as a whole and the hard, not the hardware, sorry, the, the, the platform that we've built is completely different to them. Um, the experiences we put out, you can engage through it in an Oculus headset or any headset that you might have, but the chances of us expecting everyone to have a headset in their back pocket ready to whip on is kind of harsh to, yeah. you know, you can't really assume everyone's going to turn out and buy one experiences from clients can be delivered through the oculus or through the headset of their choice but we also offer the ar version and the web version now the ones you mentioned which i think were everdome and spatial from our end they are different in the sense that the way that they onboard clients into the space doesn't work on the product line that we work on because we've developed a wallet we work with a blockchain layer Um, specifically that supports with the onboarding. And then we're open as well. So we white label the solution. It's your own
0: wallet? Sorry? It's your own wallet? It's our own owned wallet, exactly. And do you have a token?
1: No, we don't have a token because we're a metaverse platform. So we're a platform service. Think of us as Shopify. Yeah. For the metaverse. Get it. Yeah. <laughs> Probably the need easiest it, way. It that. <laughs> Think of us as a Shopify for the metaverse. So okay. what Shopify did for e-commerce is what we're looking at doing for, for the
0: metaverse entry okay. points. And what's the blockchain? What's the
1: well for for you to be able to mint your NFTs? And what
0: block what kind of code or blockchain are you guys using? Well,
1: we are powered by Zillica, but we are multi-chain, meaning that we use and integrate with a lot of any other layer that some industries require private blockchains, so we need to do the integrations, others don't, so it really just comes down to the, to the client.
0: And when was uh, Metapolis founded?
1: So this, I guess, goes back to what I was saying. The technology has been around since 2017, but Metapolis itself, we pivoted towards the metaverse as a service.
0: What were you doing before
1: uh, we weren't calling it Metaverse as a Service.
0: <laughs> but were you, do, were you doing VR for clients? No, were you... we were
1: still doing the same thing, but we just yeah. weren't calling it the Metaverse as a Service. When yeah. people started to pivot more towards the the need for a Metaverse and the.
0: So, uh, Meta. Met- Metapolis has been a company for six years, and it's been basically doing Metaverse for six years, but you weren't calling it that. Exactly. We weren't That's calling good. it Metapolis. So you've so been around for a while.
1: We've been around for a while, <laughs> yeah. I've been around the block. <laughs> um, Metapolis is the name of the Metaverse as a service platform yeah. that that goes out, and that was launched in April 20, I always forget where we are, 2023 now. Yeah, we're April trying... 2021. okay that was the metaverse as a as a yeah. service layer was launched with yeah
0: that. and sort of you know the, the metaverse like obviously 2021 was a big year for crypto web3 metaverse yeah, meta changed their name i think in october that year yeah. and you know last year the sort of uh the energy around it sort of died off a bit because of because people have you know the crypto winter like a lot of a lot of the buzz died down a little bit because people kind of said okay metaverse is great but it's not here yet Uh, and now we're in a case where a lot of companies are pivoting a little bit but there's still people sort of recognizing that metaverse will be around in the future Uh, but it's companies like you that are helping with that onboarding process
1: i mean it really comes down to the definition that everyone has for what the metaverse is right there isn't one terminology that everyone applies if you ask me what is a metaverse my answer would be completely different to if you ask let's say The brands that you just mentioned before, Everdome, Spatial or any of the rest, we don't have a unified description of what the metaverse is, but I can say comfortably from our end, we see it as the next iteration of the internet. So for us, it's just going to be an adaption Mm. to your already existing business model rather than it being just a one-off secluded um, activation that you use. You put out some NFTs, you build like some fun games around it, you incentivize some people and then that's it. No, for us, we're looking at how can you apply it to your everyday and make it a part of your model, Mm. of your business model. And I think this is the big differentiator between us and what a lot of other people are doing now. Meta, even though they did change their name, and now I believe uh, just looking at the news, they are focusing a bit more on AI rather than kind of on the metaverse space as a whole. When you look at companies that kind of transition large, you know, large conglomerates that transition from Web 2 into Web 3. There were a lot of niche companies kind of like us already focusing on the market itself Meta was really good at getting people interested in the space and by all means they did a very good job of that because everyone was talking about the metaverse but they're not experts at that they're experts at acquiring companies that are very good at what they do getting them to a point where they can just deliver you know kind of like what they did with whatsapp what they did with instagram Um, they acquire but they're not professionals as in in that niche market that they're entering and i think this is why you know all claps go to meta for for doing what they did but then again you can be kind of critical because now they've kind of pivoted more towards ai Mm. which kind of gets you to think okay so what's going to be next um Mm. and it it is interesting because the space is kind of dictated by all the layoffs that are currently happening and the moves that changed how the space is functioning because now you know a lot of people are starting to think oh if the metaverse doesn't have a. If Facebook isn't focusing on the metaverse, is it still relevant? It's actually more relevant now than it was a couple of years ago because now, you know, people need to build communities. People need to engage with their creator economy because everyone now essentially is a brand. Mm. You know, back in the day when I was in in high school, and I was graduating, uh, a lot of my peers, their biggest entry point into the graphic design space or into the advertising world or marketing was they put their portfolio on Behance, or they put it on Dribble. I think it was called or and put on high five or whatever it was called back then and hope that an agency would see them and bring them into you know hire them essentially but now what's happening is you have this whole new breed of artists that are making you know commission that are making royalties from nfts from building custom assets for the metaverse the metaverse itself has many different layers right you need to look at the aesthetic of it one is the tech layer then on top of that, you have safety and security, of course, which still is a part of tech. Mm. But then you have the aesthetic, you have the design, you have the what is it going to look like. Over here, you need architecture. That doesn't change from the real world to the physical world. You still need to understand how humans are going to be moving in this space. Mm. The aesthetic of it, the, the design, does it apply to your brand or doesn't it? Um, do you want to completely change your brand in the metaverse? Then you need the assets that need to populate and build the metaverse space. You know, you need people who are creating these assets and who are the best ones to convert. It's the ones that have the graphic design degree that used to do it on Photoshop Illustrator. Mm. Now they're upskilling and they're learning a bit more about how can we use 3D to render our already owned assets, make revenue from, you know, uh, being in the creator economy and still populating the metaverse. So obviously I can add more and more of these layers, but just giving you like a grand scope, the metaverse is going to tie all of the spatial web Together, hmm. I personally don't call it the metaverse. I refer to it as spatial web because to me, it holds all these assets of IoT, um, AR, VR, um, mixed reality, hmm. everything. It's it,
0: a real world with it. it's a layer. Pretty on much, top. it's
1: connecting the physical and the digital. I mean, yeah. when Pokemon Go came out, everyone was so happy. I was running out trying to catch them all, <laughs> like I think everyone else was, you know. And it was so interesting. Even I understood the technology. To me, it was still like, wow, we can actually, I'm playing a game that I used to play on the Nintendo 64 when I was a kid, you know, Pikachu would get up on screen and start screaming, Pika, Pika. And now he's like right in front of me in AR and I'm like chasing after him kind of thing. And then you had Ikea kind of apply it as well into, you know, how you can take your physical space and you can just superimpose this couch on top of you and see what it looks like in your own space, you know. So pretty much essentially what we're looking at doing is we're not looking at replacing the real world. We just want to enhance it. And mm-hmm. we do that through connecting wearables to a lot of the use cases. So, you know, if you're at a gym, for example, you can upskill your avatar. You can incentivize them if your gym has access to this um, kind of gamified incentive in the metaverse. Uh, if you are, um, I don't know, we also apply it to, I mean, I can give you a lot of use cases, but being very quick, and conscious of time mental health for one of them you know health and well-being we have uh, used the metaverse to build these kind of scenarios where you can train people to kind of deal with their anxiety when it comes to interviews when it comes to fear of heights you know we trace their we connected the wearable to be able to pick up on their heartbeats and their breathing and then we kind of replay it to them through these scenarios that have been built and you notice a massive difference because you're, you're kind of having to deal with this uh, sensory objective that's in front of you and you're you know that you're standing in a room but you're seeing yourself as being on the edge of a cliff yeah so in a sense you feel safe but your mind is not registering that yeah. so you know it, it does open the doors for a lot of really interesting use cases across industries and verticals and this is where I would say we defer is that we look on how we can build these use cases across industry and help people on board
0: Okay, amazing. So, so I
1: just spoke a lot there, didn't I?
0: <laughs> no, it's all its all interesting. It's kind of connecting things. But just walk me through, for someone who's listening and they have a business in Dubai, yeah. say, say if we take our business here, right, the studios, if I want to use Metapolis software as a service, yeah. platform as a service for Metaverse, I want to put our boardroom so our clients in our regional office can experience that on the web or in a device. Yeah. Do How do I do it? Do I need... Uh, do I need the 3D modeling? Do I need to get that done? Or can that be done? Like, what do I upload into your system? No,
1: no, I completely get your question. Very good question, actually. And kind of ties in with what I was saying before. So the way that we work is a lot of the clients that come to us, um, they don't really need to have a tech team behind them. They don't really need to have a CTO. Uh, a lot of people now are onboarding CTOs to try and enter the metaverse. But with our platform, what we do is we work with, let's say, if you wanted to be one of the one of the clients right you'd come to me and say look sandra i want to enter the metaverse how can metapolis help our process is that we work on this initial phasing which is called the solutions layer where we work with you to see exactly how the metaverse can apply to your business model how can you use it to adapt it to your everyday so you know, rather than you maybe having on-demand uh, podcasts that people can listen to, or you building a room where rather than me having to come to the studio, I can just pop right in, it could look exactly the same. And we could do it through avatars or, or any other way. Maybe we want to look at how HR can be impacted through the metaverse as well. So how- you do
0: the strategy first. We do the first strategy. So yeah. think
1: of us as initially, it's the educational phase. Mm-hmm. Everyone right now still needs to be educated about how we can apply to their model. Then we move on to, you know, um, building use cases, building the monetization, um, applying all the gamification aspects that can apply to the strategy that we built on. Then we move on to the third phase, which is are you happy to build a proof of concept? Do you want to test it or do you not want to kind of see what it looks like? Uh, So we have three phases. One is, I guess you could say, we call it the solutions layer, not the consulting one because consultancy is just giving you a strategy. Whereas our added value is we give you a strategy but we deploy Mm. as well, Mm -hmm. you know? So we give you a strategy then if you want to work on a proof of concept to do internal testing, whether that's uh, between you and your teams, inviting some of your users, you can do that. Once you're ready to be fully deployed on the platform, then we open your world up for you. Okay. The proof of concept also is on the platform, of course, but it's more a pl- closed environment testing for you or or others.
0: Okay, so, so say we go through all that, we yep. figure out that we want to use it for onboarding and for ongoing mm-hmm. training of our staff, we create this. Uh, uh environment through you do we need to own land somewhere
1: no so we don't believe in the concept of land uh scarcity in in the metaverse for our model anyways doesn't really make sense right and that whole model in itself i believe in the next couple of years is just going to to disappear
0: do you think that essential land buying space isn't going to be a commodity it's not going to be valuable
1: i think it had its time okay. um, i'm obviously not going things to things move fast <laughs> <laughs> i think it had its time um you know obviously i i I cannot dive deep into their business model because it's not mine, but I, I think they had their time and they served their purpose when it came out. Um, in the future, though, I don't believe if Let's we want it, it to be, yeah, if you want it to be something that the mass adopts, it cannot function on a land purchase, which is why our model is more similar to, you know, kind of like a SaaS approach. So we work on um, flat base. You know, business model, and then you add tiers, and then we customize it based on what you need as a client in comparison to what we give you and what that cost is. Hmm. Um,
0: but where is it hosted, Sandra? Like, so, okay, so I'm not doing it in the lands. Yep. Uh, is it hosted uh, on the web? Is it hosted on a blockchain? If it's hosted on the blockchain, okay. what's the URL?
1: I think this is where kind of a lot of people need to understand, right? Even having land doesn't mean you are hosted in the metaverse because having that land still needs. So hosting in itself is kind of like having a website and it being hosted on, I don't know, GoDaddy or uh, I I can't remember anything else right now. But the hosting of it happens on anything that goes out from what we develop is on our layer. So the hosting of it is through who we use and who we are partners with in the region um and outside of the region as well so obviously we have our tech stack and the people that we host on when it comes to security safety the data and all of that but that terminology and i've had that used many many times people have said okay but where am i your linkage and your action in the metaverse is linked directly to your identity and your platform meaning any client we have will have a domain name or will have a name that will link directly to their space and that's how it will function so Having land doesn't mean you're hosted in a metaverse because a lot of people say to me, oh, how can I enter? What can I do? How can I kind of see it? It will be through a username and it will be through a link similar to how the website functions right now.
0: So Metopolis forward slash Augustus Media, our employees log in. And if the use case is onboard training, that's where they. It doesn't
1: even need to have Metopolis at the front. It could just be, you know, your name. Yeah a special link that directly goes into the metaverse. Because I said, you know, we you, you can enter it through web. Now, obviously, when we're doing AR experiences and VR experiences, it's a whole different kind of back-end yeah. process. But with web, it's tailored to fit, fit the customer the customer needs.
0: So, so typically, though, like platform as a service, software as a service usually yeah. has got uh, is one product with different features depending on the price. Yeah. Whereas what you've described yeah, seems yeah. a little bit more like customization before the the... i mean
1: it's it's not so much customization i think one thing we everyone needs to understand and we're very conscious of is that this space is moving very quickly and rapidly which means we have to adapt (coughs) sorry we have to adapt our models as the space adapts as well and as the consumer and the customer needs adapt too so we have like i said we have our product line which is the wallet the metaverse as a service layer um, a world builder. We have our avatars. We have the domes. So we do have, oh, we have the app store for the creator economy. <laughs> we mm-hmm. have our port- portal, which is used for people to enter. Mm-hmm. Um, we have all of these product lines, but where I meant the integration, it's sometimes a client wants to integrate with a CRM that, of their choice, right? We are able to do that. Maybe someone wants to integrate into other services that they use. We can do that. So just as... I mean, it depends. Uh, banking want to probably yeah. have closed environments, right? The, they have their own system, so we need to open the API and do the integration with them. This is the part that's customizable, but when it comes to the product layer, no, this is all part of the base fee that gets paid.
0: Okay, so you have a standard product, but yeah, in, that's a good example of banking. They'd have different sorts of compliance. and you know, it's,
1: it cannot be open for all because the, yeah. their needs are going to be completely different to, um, I don't know, maybe... An e-commerce store or a luxury brand entering the space.
0: Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, kind of want to talk a little bit more on on the industry, but just in term in general, you start the company was around under different names six years ago. Uh, no, not under
1: a different name. We use different names for what we are. Producing. What you're doing, yeah. but
0: but you've been yeah. But what I mean is. What you would have set up as a license back then is different to what's available now in dubai under different regulation and vara and things like that has that changed or what type of what type of business activity license do you have
1: so very good question i guess to answer that we were i think the second metaverse or the first to get a metaverse license to operate out from dubai mm. um, when we opened the uh, when we kind of expanded our headquarters to be in in the region uh, now we're, we're looking at also moving towards Abu Dhabi as well and seeing what that has to in a sense offer and how we can build the ecosystem between Dubai, Abu Dhabi and in the region. So that's focusing on Saudi, Qatar and um, kind of other key players as well
0: so with, is it under the is it under the blockchain regulation of uh virtual a, assets
1: so back then when we started with the dubai i believe it fell under an nft slash metaverse license the, the virtual assets uh, regulation yeah, it was the virtual with assets our, regulations um yeah. but I, mind you i was in dubai and i remember back then I had met with the team um one person from the team that was working on setting these regulations so they hadn't even set them yet yeah and then lo and behold because dubai is, has been very good in adopting it and moving very fast um you know kudos to them on, on that i remember within i think it was like two weeks or something i got an email being like you know now we have rules and regulations and if you want to you know apply for this go ahead and we did so i believe everyone is at that moment where we're mm. all kind of just doing it as we're progressing because this is something as well that's very important, right? Human behavior is changing. The way that we are all interacting in this space is going to completely change the rules and regulations that are being applied now. If we look at VR or AR, there's going to be a lot of ethical um, kind of rules applied as well. You know, What does it mean to be ethical in the metaverse? What does it mean to have safety and security in the metaverse? What yeah. does it mean to localize content in the metaverse? And this is something that we're kind of pushing within the region is... The localization of the metaverse you know there won't be one metaverse that dictates exactly what the space is going to be the west has its own culture and its own approach and aesthetic to what their build is going to be like but we also understand that the middle east and the east and in, in specific you know the MENA region also has that localization aspect that needs to be thought of which is you know the inclusion of arabic the movements of the avatar the dress the the kind of you know all the cultural aspects that come into build. And this is something that right now is, to be very honest, government initiatives worldwide, not in the region, is still a bit of a blurred line because, you know, we still haven't openly discussed what safety and security in the metaverse is. That still hasn't been openly discussed, as in there are a lot of bodies out there forming these kind of groups to talk about what safety and and regulations are going to be. But it's not a unified approach that gets applied. Doesn't Mm. need to be unified. So... I think there's still me personally i think there's still a long way to go around what the ethics are going to be in the metaverse and Mm -hmm. what licenses need to be applied um but
0: uh, you know it's from operating a business in dubai right so you have a metaverse license is there activity under that like because what what you're you know what you don't you don't have a token you don't need to be regulated under virtual assets per se you don't need to be under the banking System. Yeah. So, but the services you're providing for clients are kind of like digital services. So you could have a digital service. Act.
1: Not really. We're a tech. Uh, we're seen more as a tech yeah. uh, company. Oh,
0: so okay, fine. Yeah. yeah.
1: But so, to answer your question, sorry, um, we don't have a token, but our clients have tokens. So our terms and conditions and our privacy policies and our rules uh, that we apply from safety and security are platform based. But our clients, where they operate from, they need to follow the rules and regulations of their operational kind so of... So
0: which place. free zone did you go with?
1: Um, initially, it was DMCC. Yeah, um, okay. The yeah, DMCC.
0: Okay, cool. So if someone's setting up a platform in Dubai on any type, like, th- that's the type of license and activity that they get?
1: I mean, it, again, Depends. it varies now because you have Crypto Oasis, you have DMCC, you have uh, now, you know, there's a couple popping up in Abu Dhabi and there's a whole bunch of... I mean, mm. you have rack, I believe, as well is... I think if I'm lots not of am yeah. also looking at metaverse, like the, the free zone isn't the issue. I think the issue is un- actually understanding what service you're going to give mm. and how you're going to fall under the license. Um, some people get consultancy licenses because they just kind of advise people on what to do. Mm. Some need a tech license because they're actually delivering on the tech. But the licenses themselves, um, I don't know if your listeners would have probably dived deep into it or if you have, but there are multiple licenses. Like for example, right now you have Actually, I was looking at it yesterday. So you have eSports gaming, and then you have eSports game developing, and then you have eSport event license, and then you have eSport marketing license, and then you (laughs) have, you know, so there are multiple licenses that you can get um, as part of the the, the package, Yeah, yeah, as part of the activities. So it's really just understanding what operations you're putting out there and what Mm. makes the most sense to you.
0: And did you raise funds?
1: Uh, no, up until now, we've actually, um, so we we actually do have investors. So Zilliqa was one of the main investors along with another investor as well. That's um, the code platform you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Who who co-founded Zilliqa as well. Um, not mentioning the name because I'm not sure if it wants to, to be mentioned no. or not. Uh, but uh, so they were the initial investors into the metaverse as a service, Metapolis. And uh, since then, everything has just kind of been bootstrapped.
0: It's uh, profitable.
1: Yes. Yeah. And you, Knock so, a word now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah,
0: great. So, so basically, that's good. It's a good case study. It's a good story. So, Ooh. how many people do you have?
1: We did just just to go back on that, right? To answer your question. So, up until now, everything has been kind of positive in regards to the clients that we've been able to onboard. We do hold um, kind of like the three largest esports teams uh, who are deploying on on Metapolis, along obviously other industries as well. Regional
0: esports teams. Regional. Uh, the three large are they the esports teams are they from the region? No, no, three, they're not from the region. Global teams. Three global, three
1: global esports teams, Um but I believe some of them are probably looking at the region. Who are they? I don't know if I can mention that. Not right yet, it's yet. not deployed
0: <laughs> yet. But so you're working with global esports teams to bring them onto the. I mean, diverse. I
1: can. So we work with RRQ, who what? are out from India. We work with Mad Lions, who are out from uh, Spain, and we work with Ninjas and Pajamas, who are from
0: uh, cool Sweden. Name. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> cool name. It's very
1: cool, yeah. Ninja Pyjamas. Pajamas. Um, So, you know, and we obviously we have other industries that we work with as well. But eSports has been one of the biggest kind of movers in the space, because if anyone has a community and anyone has a high standard, it's generally Mm. them. And they're the hardest community to convert into the metaverse uh, because, you know, to them, they they, they are hardcore gamers. They know the value of of assets. I think I forgot what the initial question was and what my point I was trying to make. Is, I was kind uh, of
0: I was kind of going through the, the profit side of it, how you run all right, the business. so yeah,
1: and then um, just to answer that question, we are looking at opening, um, you know, for funds and rounds just for I guess you could say association, yeah, um, more so than the need for it. And I think this is very important because end of last year we really expanded into the region. Mm. So prior to that, we were focusing on Singapore, which is our main headquarters, uh, and then kind of more I guess you could say Asia, Southeast Asia, and America. And then mid to end last year, we fully kind of looked at expansion into the Middle East, and that's been a, a very big push for us, Europe, the Middle East, and uh, the expansion that happened was pretty, pretty big. Hmm. So as a as a team, I believe that was your other question, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. in in terms so, of not just numbers, but just in terms of the structure, because we often hear, of, uh, you know, remote first companies, yeah. and in this space, well, more in the crypto space, decentralized organizations, but and then the type of work that your team does as well, like do they? Uh, uh, yeah, what's the makeup of the company in terms of skills and size? And... I mean,
1: obviously, again, um, you have the commercial side, mm-hmm. which would be the commercial teams who are client facing. Um, it's set up like any other company or like any other business. You have your project managers, your product managers, and your client facing teams, and then you have your backends, yeah. who are the 3D modelers, who are the tech team, who are the ones that you know keep the platform up to date. As a whole, we are around 108 people. Um, with a lot more expansion kind of growing and happening with that. But the structure of it is um, commercial and then tech kind of focused back-end uh, back teams. Yeah. So any, like, like any other company would really have it.
0: And the, the skill sets that they have, uh, are, are you looking for different types of coders and developers? Or you know, is it digital language, native languages, or are you looking for more blockchain specialists?
1: I mean, it's really a combination of everything, really. Multidisciplinary is the way to go now because to get, we have a blockchain. Obviously, we have a blockchain team that focuses on blockchain, but there is a lot of crossovers, right? Because mm. if you're looking at integration, sometimes you might get someone that does 3D modeling that needs to tell the blockchain team, oh, I need it to be in this kind of file or this is what I need to happen. So, no, there are a lot of crossovers. I guess the biggest upskill um, I would probably advise is needed in this space is people who genuinely understand how they can, transition clients from Web 2 towards Web 3 mm. and what that would look like for their model and how they can bring all of these elements together, mm. build communities, get them excited, gamification of
0: it, all of that. Is that, is that. It's interesting because a lot of client presence in Web 2 at the moment would be through their social platforms and yep. their online presence. Is, is that, you think, the sort of low-hanging fruit of the way of them to enter the, me- the metaverse?
1: I mean, you kind of, you bring it into it, right? Mm. The communities you have right now, again, like I said at the start of the podcast was that communication just ends once you're off the app, right? So that you put a tweet out and then that's it, you interact with it and it's done. But with the metaverse presence, you can co-collaborate, meaning you can bring them into taking decisions, into building communities, into them being able to engage and collaborate with each other, into running ads, (laughs) into doing a whole bunch of things. So it just pretty much merges it. It funnels it down into this one platform where they can see each other pretty mm. much and uh, engage in exactly what they want to do. So if I'm talking to you on Twitter, right, I would tweet at you, you would tweet at me, and then that's it. I log off, it's over, it's done. But if we were on this platform, for example, maybe you and I can be part of the same, I don't know, guild that we've built as part of a eSports team that we like, right? Yeah. Maybe we can continue this uh, communication or this kind of a gamification aspect and feel like we're a part of something Mm. people feel more attached to their avatars and to their um to the product that they're dealing with once they feel like they play a part with it a part of it sorry yeah so if i have a role to play in your company or in your community then i feel more attached to it right now it's just kind of you're following kind of like niche or client or products um in a more static kind of way.
0: Yeah. Less involved. So Sandra, you mentioned a few times about the creator economy yeah. and uh, obviously it's quite a broad term, but do you mean in terms of, is that individuals who are creators who want to go in the metaverse or is it more, uh, or, yeah, is it differentiated in working with corporations and creators or is there more to it?
1: I mean, again, it comes down to terminology, but for me, the creator economy is giving the ability to the individual to take control of exactly what their skills and their, um, is, and seeing how it applies to the web three space and actually kind of plugging it all in. You know, there are a lot of platforms right now that kind of reward people for listening to music or reward them for, um, the content that goes out. Again, I go back to the same story, influencers, right? They put out content hoping that they'd get enough views and then someone would pick them up and give them an ambassador deal or something like that. Now in a sense that can change because, now you can co-create the co- the content, you can put your content out there with a brand and you can get ongoing revenue through NFT creation, through asset creation, through gamification. So it's just really opening more doors for people to enter the space as their own brand. Mm-hmm. And that to me is absolutely beautiful because especially if you look at the region, you have a lot of skills in the Middle East. There are so many skills here, but there are also a lot of issues in getting these skills out there. Mm-hmm. A lot, you know, and I'm my background's Australian Lebanese. I was saying to you before we started. If I just look at Lebanon, there are so many ta- skills. There's so much talent out there, but they do have a struggling point, a, a little kind of like issue of getting that skill set out of the country or making money from their skill set. Because I, mean, I can't remember the name of the websites now, but I think there's like Fiverr and all of these things. Sometimes these websites don't even work in the Middle East. You know, I think from memory, PayPal doesn't work in the Middle East if I'm not mistaken. So. There's all these roadblocks, but now with the, this whole Web3 movement, they are able to just really make use of the, how they can generate revenue mm. from the skill set, whether it's through the launch of NFTs, whether it's through creating digital assets, whether it's through co-collaboration of content. So it's just really opening doors for people to be like, OK, I'm no longer dependent on um, centralized entities or centralized groups to allow me to do this or not to do that. I can kind of do it for myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it is interesting. I think the promise of the creator economy in general has, hasn't has yet sort of fulfilled its promise to creators. Like yeah. there's a lot of, um, you know, obviously there's some influencers and there's some creators who do well on certain platforms, yeah. uh, but it seems to be the uh, a lower percentage. You know, a lot of people can't necessarily sustain livelihoods just on creating content online. Uh, the platforms you know, Instagram haven't found a way to give revenue share back yet. And I think TikTok yeah. pulses hasn't fully launched in the region yet and things like that. So you think that basically it's really interesting that you described all those different areas, including launching your own NFT, NFTs, that the promise of of beyond Web 2, Web 3 is, is yeah. can be more beneficial it's to It's a constant
1: revenue stream, right? If you sell it and then someone else sells it, then you also get a part of that commission, yeah. which then kind of, you know, you're, you're constantly adding. Not to say that entering web three as a creator is going to be easy, you still have to market yourself you still have to work on it but if you crack it then you've cracked it
0: and is it advantage. is it like is the driving force of that like revenue but is is one of the things that sort of links the metaverse and what creators are doing online is this sort of idea of digital identity where uh, you know that's one of the that's one of the next layers like everyone's trying to sort of have that presence uh, that's why a lot of people would have bought nfts and things like that and collectibles
1: i mean nfts and collectibles in a sense right the the whole nft space it went through this whole kind of progress bar that went up it shot up and then kind of it fizzled down people were like no we need to kind of pivot away from it uh there are different elements to what nfts are and where the value add is for example um when i was at zilliqa we were launching rialto which the core focus of uh Rialto was going to be to onboard artists and the art world, so fine art into the metaverse space. I'm mm. um, sorry, into the NFT space. And then, of course, link it into the metaverse. Uh, there are different elements to what NFTs you can put out there. Not all of it has to be kind of art related. Some people can be putting out, again, digital assets as NFTs, which populate certain areas of the metaverse. So that skill set varies across. It, it really is just a matter of upskill. Mm. I think right now, the the majority of Creators in the space should focus on how they can upskill and understand exactly how their talent plugs into the. I'm not going to say metaverse, just the whole Web three in general.
0: Yeah, in general, basically, yeah. Uh, so, kind of moving towards the end, I wanted to sort of segue like like a lot of companies yeah. are at the moment. AI is a big buzzword in the last few months, uh, and there seems to be the same sort of palpable uh energy around it with startups that there was around web3 and crypto uh 18 months ago yeah. uh how, how do you view that in your organization or is there something generative around what you're doing uh in in the metaverse and and is it something that you're looking at or are you focusing on what you're doing
1: you know again that Comes down to what I was saying before about how I consider this whole space just, I refer to it as a spatial web because AI is not new technology. I mean, AI mm. has been around since like ages and ages and ages. Actually, any research document or any thesis that you had to do back in the day when I was in high school, you'd put AI for people to actually pay attention to it. Mm. Um, AI is not new. What's new is the mass acceptance of what AI can do. So it, while the technology is not new and its application is definitely not new, um, People now, mass adoption is happening across the acceptance of oh, this can actually make me more efficient. Um, granted, though, in saying that, the space or, or for us, anyways, AI does play a big part in our efficiency and how we streamline things. You know, um, if I look at NPCs, you know, our NPCs have an element of AI to them because to train it, to train an NPC to kind of what's an NPC? Uh, a non-playable character. So it's just one of the. kind of like walks around (laughs) yeah in in a space um but they are used to you know if i was to enter a room for example if you do enter the metaverse here and before i get to you someone says hi to me greets me and then walks me around to you that would be an npc Mm.
0: um like a digital avatar like robot that's quite cool yeah yeah i
1: I guess i guess (laughs) i guess yeah i guess it's a nice way of putting it as well yeah so you know but but they also have an element of AI to them because mm. they can be trained to kind of operate how you want them in, in mm. the metaverse. Um, so it look, is linked, yeah. Yeah, so we can look at AI on um, streamlining the design aspects of things, right? Mm. Uh, there's been a lot of movement. To, rather than having people sit down on Photoshop and Illustrator or Blender 24-7, we are bringing AI into the element and say, okay, how can you make it different? How can you make it better? You have a lot of really large companies such as Unity also looking at how AI applies to the designs that they are doing. So AI... It applies to everything that is happening. It's not new technology, but the adoption rate of how people are now starting to see where it fits in is what's new. Mm. And I'm a big fan of that because the amount of times I hear people saying, oh, you know, now I, I'm using chat GPT to, I don't know, do my content calendar. Oh, I'm using chat GPT to kind of streamline my marketing operations with the team. It's nice to see people appreciating exactly how technology can be used for good mm. rather than for replacing jobs or yeah. <laughs> or any other kind of misconception that people can have around that
0: yeah adding to it so just kind of lastly to finish we always ask like you know on this podcast do you see the region as an emerging market that will emerge and you know you obviously have, are running the business out of dubai so are you generally optimistic around the region
1: i mean of course this is why we expanded here end of Uh, like I said end of last year massively and this is why we are now looking at at Abu Dhabi as well not just Dubai for for having um, you know entering the space and why we're looking at Saudi Arabia and why we're looking at Qatar and why we're looking at Kuwait, Bahrain and all the other kind of regions that are happening. The Middle East has been extremely strong when it comes to establishing itself as a first mover in Web3 and this is something that I mean, I can go down into history right now and start getting really philosophical, but if you look at how people usually viewed the region previously, there wasn't much interest in exactly what was happening here. You know, people kind of saw us, uh, they saw the region as this beautiful place that you'd go to. There's a lot of rich culture. Uh, There's a lot to do in terms of history and all that. But when the whole Web3 thing happened, the adoption rate and the acceptance that occurred really shifted all of this narrative. I mean, this isn't just happening for entrepreneurs or for people setting up businesses, but people In general are now extremely curious at how the region is accepting and moving really quickly towards all of this uh, adoption of the technology that's going on and that's something not a lot of other people have been able to do or do it properly um and i can say to you you know if you look at different kind of areas that kind of kicked off initially and i believe singapore was one of them but then singapore started to kind of go backwards when it came to what it meant to have NFT regulations and the rules around that. So you found a lot of companies that were in Singapore started to look at Dubai for, you know, setting up operations and what that would be like. Uh, I do believe that the region is growing massively and I do believe that it's going to impact a lot of the um, business culture that's going to be applied uh, in the future across any kind of like multinational company, because a lot of them are going to see the value that the, the region is bringing. So, yeah, no, it's a win-win for everyone, I think.
0: Very positive note to finish on. Thank okay. you, Sandra, for sharing the story of Metapolis, yeah, and we'll follow the journey in the future.
1: Thanks very much. Thanks, Thanks
0: for that. having me. So I'd be interested to hear your feedback on the crypto space. We do have a smashy crypto show as well, that we interview a lot more people on that, but I decided to have a few episodes on Dubai Works. Uh, with our producer Shahir Al-Kindi and Ali Baba and Ali Khalil who put the show together. This is available on smashy.tv uh, website, mobile apps and smart TVs uh, in full video format. If you're listening on audio and Apple, Podio, uh, Spotify, and Gami, please do uh, subscribe and share with a friend. We'll be back next week as usual uh, at 11am on Friday with another episode.